What is Neurogenic Bladder for Kids and Families? Welcome to Bladder Buzz, the podcast where doctors, researchers, and consumers discuss bladder health and function for those with neurogenic bladder. Today is a special episode for kids and families all about neurogenic bladder. We're joined by Dr. Katie Forster and Dr. Christina Ho to discuss what is neurogenic bladder. And now, Bladder Buzz. Welcome to Bladder Buzz. I'm Dr. Katherine Forster, pediatric hospitalist at the UPMC Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh and the University of Pittsburgh School of Medicine. This episode of Bladder Buzz focuses on neurogenic bladder in children. Joining us today is Dr. Christina Ho. Christina, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, Katie. Thanks so much for having me here. I'm a pediatric urologist from Children's National Hospital in Washington, D.C., and I'm co-lead with the Spina Bifida program here. Thanks, Christina. We're really excited to talk to you today. So let's jump in. What is a neurogenic bladder and what are the most common causes in children? So a neurogenic bladder is basically a bladder that doesn't empty or store urine properly due to problems affecting the nerves that connect the brain to the bladder. These problems can be either within the central nervous system, which include the brain and spinal cord, or in the nerves of the lower urinary tract. In children, one of the most common causes is spina bifida, though other causes can include any congenital problem that affects the spinal cord, such as a tethered cord or sacroagenesis. So how does spina bifida, which is a problem in the nervous system, affect the bladder? So spina bifida is due to a problem referred to as a neural tube defect. This occurs before the baby is born when the neural tube, which is the part of the fetus that develops into the central nervous system, fails to develop or close properly. The literal meaning for spina bifida is split spine. It typically occurs within the first 28 days of pregnancy, but sometimes as soon as 14 days while the neural tube is forming. And spina bifida often occurs before a woman even knows that she's pregnant. Spina bifida occurs in about 1 in 2,000 live births in the U.S. and is the most common central nervous system birth defect. Around 1,500 babies are born each year with spina bifida in the U.S. And many people, including the Spina Bifida Association, will refer to it as a snowflake condition of birth defects because no two children with spina bifida are the same. There's a very wide range of how it manifests, and the severity often depends on everything from the size of the opening to the location on the spine. So what are the causes of spina bifida? Well, really, there's no singular known cause. Many people believe that there are multiple things that can cause spina bifida, including a combination of genetics, environment, and nutrition. But sometimes, even with the best prenatal care, it can still occur. In patients with spina bifida, the nerves of the spinal cord that control bladder function, including bladder storage and voiding, are affected. This results in patients having difficulty either storing their urine, emptying their urine, or both. So for parents out there who may have just learned that their baby has spina bifida, what can they expect when the baby is born? What type of doctors will they need to see for their bladder? So once the baby has been diagnosed with spina bifida, a team of doctors, including a neurosurgeon and a urologist, will evaluate the baby. Throughout their life, the child will also see specialists from orthopedic surgery and physical medicine and rehabilitation as well. Also very important in this is the role of their pediatrician. Though many institutions, such as Children's National, have a multidisciplinary clinic where providers from all of these specialties come together to see these children, many do not and end up relying on their pediatrician to help coordinate care and ensure that the child's needs are being met appropriately. If the baby is born with a severe form of spina bifida, where part of the spinal cord is pushed out, which can entrap nerves or fat, 
They usually have a surgery by a neurosurgeon to close the lesion before they leave the hospital. They'll also be evaluated by a urologist to see if they're able to urinate on their own. The bladder and bowel often become affected by spina bifida because the peripheral nerves that supply the bladder are affected. The severity can depend on where the lesion is in the spine, but if the baby is unable to urinate or doesn't fully empty their bladder, then we usually start them on intermittent catheterization to help empty the bladder. So what is intermittent catheterization? Can you explain this a little more? Sure. So intermittent catheterization is basically using a catheter, which is essentially just like a hollow tube to help drain the bladder of urine on a time schedule. And usually we ask parents to, um, to do this on a schedule of every four hours while the patient's awake. There are lots of different types of catheters we can use to help make the process easier on both the child and the parents. And then as the child gets older, the catheter size will increase. And ideally, we start to teach the child how to catheterize on their own to be able to do it independently. If there are any issues catheterizing from below and through the urethra, we can do a surgery where we actually create a channel from the appendix that extends to the belly button or to the lower abdomen, and they can then catheterize the bladder through that. Thanks for that explanation. So are there any treatments that can be done for spina bifida before the baby is born? So there are a few institutions in the U.S. which offer fetal surgery, and that is um, when the baby's back is actually closed while they're still in the womb. And the thought is that it can minimize damage to the spinal cord, increase the likelihood that the child will be able to walk, and decrease the need for a tube to drain any excess fluid from around their brain that may accumulate. As with anything, there are potential risks and to both the fetus and the mother when considering fetal surgery. Um, and I can say from a urology standpoint, there have been a few studies that have shown that prenatal surgery did not necessarily improve bladder function or eliminate the need for intermittent catheterization. But certainly a lot more research needs to be done on it before we can understand how fetal surgery can fully affect a baby's bladder and their bladder function as they grow up. So what are some of the ways that you diagnose neurogenic bladder in children? And then once you diagnose it, how can it be treated? So the primary goals of managing the bladder are to protect the kidneys and then to enable independence for quality of life. Bladder dynamics are usually measured through a special test, which we call urodynamics, which measures how well parts of the urinary tract, such as the bladder, sphincter, and urethra, store and release urine. Patients with spina bifida can have problems either storing urine, voiding or emptying their urine, or problems with both of those things. So based on this test, we could recommend that they start intermittent catheterization and potentially add a medication that helps to relax the bladder. And then we continue to use this test to monitor their bladder pressures over time to make sure that their bladder doesn't become hostile. And that's a word that we use for high pressure voiding that can start to affect the kidneys um, despite maximal medical therapy. So at this point, when we get concerned that maybe the kidneys are becoming damaged because of the bladder, then we start to talk about surgery. Surgery can consist of augmenting the bladder size if the bladder is really small, or creating a continent channel to make catheterizing easier, or potentially reconstructing the bladder neck or placing a sling if there's a lot of leakage from the urethra. Augmenting the bladder um, helps to decrease pressures within the bladder, and then creating a channel through which the patient can catheterize often can help them get to a point where they're independent. How do you continue to monitor the children throughout their childhood and teenage years? So usually these kids are followed regularly by specialists from neurosurgery, orthopedic surgery, physical medicine and rehabilitation, and urology. 
As they get older, I would say probably the most common follow-up appointments will be with urology to manage their bladder and sometimes their bowel function, and then with um, PM&R or physical medicine rehabilitation to check in on their ambulation if they're using braces or if they need a wheelchair. So we typically see patients on a schedule um, of every six months from when they're born to about five years of age, and we ask that they get a renal bladder ultrasound at the same time of that visit. And then once they turn five, we transition to yearly visits. And we also ask that um, in addition to the ultrasound testing, we usually get some blood work just to look at their overall kidney function and then the bladder dynamic or urodynamic testing as well. And then we repeat this urodynamic testing anytime there's a change in their voiding symptoms or if they develop recurrent urine infections or if they start to have leaking in between catheterizations. So how do these urinary symptoms affect children when they go to school or participate in other activities? So even though spina bifida can affect how children walk on their own, go to the bathroom on their own, or even learn in school, these children can often always go to school and participate in school activities just like any other child. If they have to catheterize them through their bladder and they can do so independently, then they do it around a school schedule, and then we give them a school note so they can use the bathroom whenever they need to. Other kids can work out a schedule with their school nurse who helps to catheterize them there. Some children with spina bifida also have leaking of urine from their urethra despite catheterizing regularly, and sometimes they have to wear pads or diapers for this. I know this can be particularly bothersome for school-aged children or kids as they're approaching their adolescent or teen years. So one of our goals in managing them um, surgically can be to help them gain continence and decrease wedding accidents. What bad things can happen as a result of having a neurogenic bladder, and how do you prevent them? So the most concerning complication of a neurogenic bladder is that um, if it's untreated, it can lead to damage of the kidneys and ultimately renal failure. However, with early diagnostic testing, close follow-up, and initiation of medical therapies such as clean intermittent catheterization, and then using surgical therapies on top of that as needed, this very rarely happens. So in addition to the child's doctors and any spina bifida clinic they may attend, are there any resources out there for children with spina bifida or children who have other causes of neurogenic bladders as well as their families? Yeah, so Spina Bifida Association, which can be found just by Googling spina bifida or it can be found at spinabifidaassociation.org, has chapters in almost every state. They are a great online resource for parents and for any children who are affected to be able to get more information and to get in contact with their local chapters. And they help to kind of build a community between these families and these children. So one final question. What is the one thing you would want your patients and their families to know? Um, I would really want patients to know that even though it's definitely an understandable fear, it's a misconception that children with neurogenic bladder or spina bifida are unlikely to have a high quality of life and that they'll always be dependent on others. We have made so many great strides medically in the last 50 years and learned so much more about this condition and how to treat it effectively. I mean, the average life expectancy for kids with spina bifida used to be 30 years of age, and the most common cause of death was renal failure. But now we see our patients living well into their 70s. That's really great news for, the, for children and their families. Thank you so much for your time today, Christina. We really enjoyed having you, and we appreciate your expertise on this episode of Bladder Buzz. Thanks, Katie. Thank you all, and we hope to see you next time.
Bladder Buzz is presented by the Rehabilitation Research and Training Center on Neurogenic Lower Urinary Tract Dysfunction. The information presented in this podcast does not express the views of the individual's employer or affiliated institutions. The content is for informational and reference purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, or as the sole source of guidance for decision-making. We advise you to always consult with a physician before making any healthcare decisions or for guidance about a specific medical condition. Thanks for listening. Come back soon.